More than a year into the pandemic, my days fall into a very predictable pattern. Mornings are spent helping my son make his way through a series of videos and worksheets for his remote first grade class. By lunchtime, we are both worn out from the bargaining, the series of negotiations. If you do this assignment now, we can play outside for longer this afternoon. Or write one more sentence and you can be done. And on and on and on. But by bedtime, we have swapped roles. My son is begging to read just one more chapter of the latest Captain Underpants book or write just another page for the comic book he is creating. I have to keep reading, Mom, he says. I just love writing, he exclaims. I offer him 10 more minutes, knowing that we both need to rest up for tomorrow. Thanks for sharing your story, Jess. I think it's something that many teachers and parents can relate to, and it's a great segue into our conversation exploring today's question of how can we call upon writing to cultivate joy uh, within our classrooms? Hi, I'm Jody Braun, joined by Jess Westhoff, and this is the TwigCast. So, um, Jess, I think uh, coaxing our own children and our students um, is something that is probably most of us experience, and it's uh, exhausting at times. Yes. <laughs> and it, so if it's exhausting for us, then we can only imagine what our students and children are going through. Um, so I want to think about how can we make writing as something that gives us energy and not drains it, you know, to find that joy um, while working on these skills. So, um, yeah, I love, I love thinking about it in that way. Um, how writing can be something that's energizing and life-giving because I know that like personally as a writer, when I'm like in the zone and just thinking about all these ideas and the writing is flowing, like it is, it's such an energizing experience, but yet, like I know from my experiences, working with students in the classroom and now with my own kids as they start their, you know, their journeys as young writers that oftentimes um, writing is not, it's often something that is more, you know, like an energy drain. So how can we, how can we switch it? So it, it is that life-giving energizing force that um, I think all of us who have become teachers of writers have experienced in our own lives. I agree totally um, because I think about it as, you know, it's hard for me to write, you know, it's, it's challenging, it's exhausting. Um, but as you mentioned, when we're, um, you know, when we find that zone that we're being productive and we feel like we're being successful, it is enjoyable and energy giving. Um, so I think recognizing that there's a balance that with our students that, we need to recognize that it is, uh, you know, very challenging work. You know, there's fewer things in academics that's harder than having to compose something. Right. <laughs> and, and it's, it's a mental, it's a mental strain. So um, some of the things that I try to work through are those negotiation strategies uh, and um, thinking about, you know, what is it that we can um, engage our students with on, on things that they're uh, knowledgeable about and that they care about 
and that they're willing to put that energy into. Um, so the idea of choice is always um, at the forefront. Right. I think that choice is just such a powerful way to help students align, you know, what they're interested in and what they care about um, with, you know, more kind of structured opportunities as teachers. We, we have to provide our classes in order to um, help support them to try new, try new skills and explore content that maybe they haven't been introduced um, to before. So I think that that's always like a tricky part is like, how can we um, invite students to, you know, pursue what they're interested in and their curiosity and giving, providing those choices while also, um, you know, urging them or maybe prompting them to also explore some things that maybe that they haven't had experience with before. Because, I mean, I know thinking about, you know, my story with my son, like I don't want him only reading Captain Underpants books for the rest of his life, right? Like, those are great and he enjoys them, but I know there's also so many other things that he would um, find interesting if he uh, were kind of pushed to explore. Yeah, and I think uh, that's something that, you know, we as teachers, we can be more flexible, um, but we do want to push them. So it's like, how can we um, help them? find a way into some of this new content, whether it's the, the mode that we're writing in or the type of right. art that we're writing, but also, as you mentioned, the content, like there's, there's gotta be something that we can make that personal connection with, even if they don't necessarily um, see it themselves immediately. Um, and yeah. that's hard, <laughs> especially yeah. when you've got 32 students or, or more, okay, in your classroom. Right. Uh, I, I mean, I think that's so much of the work that, you know, we do as teachers is, figuring out and like helping students identify those connections because, you know, we've had this experience with books and with writing that they haven't had yet. So we can maybe kind of put things together in a way um, that someone who hasn't, you know, had experience with those texts can't yet. But, you know, when you try to do that in, you know, on scale for a hundred or more students, if you're a high school English teacher, that's a really tricky thing. Yeah. And that's what we spend a lot of time, you know, talking as our, our PLCs is, you know, if we only have one prompt, does it makes, you know, really it makes our job a little bit more manageable, but then it's like, is it going to be as beneficial for the students? Are they going to be as invested in it? Is our quality going to be as good or high as we want it to be? Um, and so that's, you know, negotiating the logistics of it all is also uh, needs to be considered. But right. I, I think when we, um, you know, kind of put that up as a secondary measure. Um, and we think more students uh, oriented, um, we're going to get better results and uh, help them see that there's things that we need them to do or want them to do. But um, we can give that a um, little bit of flexibility and choice. So Right. And I love how I think that you were talking with Maddie on the last podcast about how, you know, we've always wanted to think of ourselves as teachers of writers and not teaching teachers of writing. Right. So, you know, figuring out ways to keep the student, the writer, you know, in the forefront, even even when we have so many students. Are there some strategies that you've been playing around with in your classroom um, that have helped you really focus on 
connecting with individual students? Yeah, I think um, this year, especially since we're in the, um, you know, one-to-one devices, so everyone has a laptop and we're all composing um, pretty much completely digitally now, that it's really opened up um, the, the, the realm of feedback because it's constant instead of just coming at the end of the grading period or, you know, when we get a hold of their printed copies or their handwritten copies. So I think being able to um, really use the, the tools that are available in Google documents or, or sharing Word documents, you know, that are live. And that, um, so that's a, a, a way that I've really um, seen be helpful is um, how we engage with individual students that way. And I think um, that's also allowed me to kind of engage in their, in their own arguments a little bit more. You know, when they're because I give a lot of freedom with my AP students. I mean, they pretty much always choose their own topics because I want them to be. Uh, and I, I try to push them to, you know, research something new or you know, what's something that you haven't necessarily um, been totally familiarized with, but you want to learn more about. You know, I try to push them in those directions, but it's still ultimately up to them. But um, with those, I'm able to see. Uh, kind of how they're constructing their arguments and how they're in, engaging with the arguments a little bit more. Um, so throughout the writing process, I'm not only um, commenting on the moves that they're making in their writing, but how they're uh, engaging in, in that conversation, because that's how I approach arguments that we're entering in that conversation. And so how can we be more productive and move arguments forward and that kind of thing? So I think that's been something that's been really helpful this year. Yeah, that is really interesting to think about how, you know, some of these digital tools that we were almost forced into using, you know, given the circumstances of the pandemic, um, how they've, you know, actually been really helpful in some ways. I've heard a number of teachers talk about how they feel like, you know, kind of like what you're saying, Jody, that they've been able to give, you know, more timely feedback and, and to understand their students um, more as writers and some of the smaller moves that they're making just because of you know, the possibilities that, you know, these digital tools like, you know, Google Docs um, has opened up for them this year. Yeah, and it's also, it's kind of redefined how they, how my students see revision, because they suddenly realize, hey, when I delete something and I rewrite it immediately, that, that that's a revision. Right. I have to write completely through and then go back. Um, and I'm saying, well, that's, that's how, uh, especially now that it's instant, you know, that's how a lot of writers operate. That's how I operate. You know, I mean, I'm still going to have like a, a first draft that's done, but that's, if you go back and look at the, if you have your, your track changes on or revision history, you know, you can see three different versions. Right. <laughs> right. So I think that's been a, a, a powerful tool as well. Um, and that shows, I think that's one way that we can get students engaged, uh, in their work and have more agency and feel like they're being successful is that they can go back and look at those changes and say, Hey, uh, this was a, a good change I made, uh, or, it, you know, it has a better effect. And, um, and so they're getting, if not joy, they're being at least some satisfaction in the fact that they're um, making progress. Yes. That's so interesting how, you know, these tools have actually changed you know, maybe our students' conceptual understanding of what, what revision can be. Um, I hadn't quite thought of it like that before. Um, 
one experience I had with my son earlier this year, he was working on writing a short story um, and I showed him Google Docs. I was like, well, you know, you can, you know, we can type it out on here. He was, you know, telling it to me and I was typing it for him. Um, and then, you know, when you make changes, it's easier, you know, because especially, you know, for a first grader, it's like very, very laborious to write, you know, especially yeah. if you're trying to write a couple of, you know, a short story with a few pages in it. Um, and so we were working through it. And then he's like, you know, I really, I think that I do want to start it with um, Pizza Man and Mrs. Broccoli having a conversation like it, like, you know, I had originally started it, but, you know, we had erased that because he had changed his mind. I was like, well, look, in Google Docs, you can actually go back and see your revision history. So we can grab that sentence that you wrote at the beginning. You don't have to try to recreate it. And he was like, oh my goodness, this is magical. <laughs> and I just loved how he, how he called Google Docs magical. Um, <laughs> because, you know, that's definitely not, um, not something, you know, when, when we were first graders that we had access to the kinds of tools to, to do that. So um, it'll be interesting to see how, especially students who are, you know, in early elementary school now and have had experience with these tools, you know, be early on, maybe earlier than they would have before because of the pandemic, how their understanding of writing and revision will be different than maybe students' understanding has been in the past. Absolutely. And I think you mentioned that, you know, just the the mechanical labor of typing or before handwriting, that was a major uh, um, sticking point for a lot of students. I know that, as you mentioned, like when I was in, you know, kindergarten, first grade, I didn't want to have to get out my eraser and write an entire paragraph and start over, you know, and I've seen that, you know, even in the, even in the past couple of years still that students get, they just start crossing stuff out on their pages in, in pen or, or physically erase. I'm like, no, you can do that in much quicker and still right. have the old version in case you don't like your changes, you know? So I think that is something that's going to be helpful with, you know, getting that buy-in um, as well and um, really help with the writing process overall. Yes. Well, it also makes me wonder a little bit about um, like possibilities in our classroom for collaborative writing experiences Um, you know, like I've tried that a few different times, you know, having small groups of students work on like crafting a short story or a poem together. Um, you know, just managing the logistics of it was always a little bit tricky, you know, but now with students having access to these digital tools, I wonder, um, if that will kind of help foster more of a collaborative environment and if that'll open up some more possibilities for the kind of, you know, writing that we can do in community in our classrooms. Definitely. Um, I haven't uh, done a lot of that this year, but, it, you know, in the past, you know, we've done versions of that, you know, where you, um, you know, have the, the collaborative story or the shared story where they, they write and then um, pass it on to the next person and they add to it. But as a live document, I can see how they're probably going to be uh, more engaged and uh, be able to, um, you know, work through the creative process in ways that they felt, you know, uh, restricted, you know, by handwriting or, or always having to, um, to do, the, do it the old fashioned way. So right. I, think, I think it'll be good.
Jess, I recall a conversation we had when you made an insightful analogy between running and writing, highlighting the concept of training. I think it fits into our question of how we can cultivate joy. Yeah, you know, I was having a conversation with um, a high school English teacher the other day, and he was talking about how you know, he feels like he can really kind of cultivate this atmosphere of joy in his classroom with his students with these shorter assignments where it's, you know, very low stakes and it's just kind of this, you know, atmosphere of, you know, we're just practicing, we're experimenting with language. Um, but then he was talking about how, you know, when you move into kind of some of the longer, more extended um, pieces, how some of that kind of goes away and it's harder to, you know, kind of maintain or, you know, encourage like a fun experimental at, you know, atmosphere with the writing. Um, so I've been thinking a lot about that in terms of like, you know, as a runner, when I'm training for like a half marathon, right? Like, it's not a big deal to go out on a Tuesday morning and to, you know, run four miles and to know like for this one workout, I'm just going to focus on doing a few fast, you know, speed intervals. And, you know, it, it seems like very low stakes still. Um, and by doing that over and over again for a series of months leading up to the race, then the race also feels like it's not quite as scary or such a big thing, right? Um, so I'm trying to think of like, if I compare, you know, running to writing, which I often like to do, like how, how can we kind of make that, transition into our classrooms, right? Like, are there things that we can do to help students, you know, focus and build up the stamina? So when we do get to the points in the year where we're working on more sustained, like kind of higher stakes, maybe uh, writing projects that it, it isn't quite so um, stressful and anxiety ridden. Um, I don't know. So I've been thinking about that question a lot. And Jody, I know you, you're also very into sports and athletics. Um, like, how do you see similarities between writing and practice um, with, with your students? Well, when I uh, heard you talking about, you know, this idea of having, um, you know, a lot of low stakes writing, um, I invests a lot in the the writing workshop model so we focus on specific skills and just test it out in in very short segments rather than always you know going straight into you know writing a full essay so it's a series of mini lessons very focused on specific writing skills and um and then they they practice that and um with uh coaching whether it's football or track especially um track um i coach the jump so it's the same idea you know you're you're working on a, a specific skill that will build on itself and um move on to the next skill so that you can complete the whole event and so really the writing workshop model is the same idea that you know if you um are very focused and uh do things that are kind of a natural progression um, that you're going to uh, eventually be able to put all those pieces together and, and have a successful um, writing experience and be productive. So um, that's something that I've really tr 
tried to help with all my students, whether it's in my general sophomore English classes or my AP English classes. It's been, um, I, I think it's been really helpful this year, especially in this, um, this new model of, of teaching that we're working in. <laughs> Well, and have you found that when, um, you know, it is time to kind of engage in those, you know, more substantive, you know, writing projects that students have a different attitude about it or feel more comfortable as they start to work on those longer projects? Absolutely. I think that they have the confidence because they're starting, you know, they feel confident that, hey, I've got this uh, set of tools and strategies and they're also more willing to uh, read each other's work and give feedback and really engage in, in meaningful conversations rather than just saying, good job, right. <laughs> or um, you need to redo this. <laughs> you know. So I think in that aspect, it's been, at least, especially for the students who feel like they're gonna take agency over their own work and invest in it, um, that it's been really helpful. So absolutely. That's great. Um, have you had an opportunity this year to work with any students for a second year, like students that you had when they were sophomores who are now older? Yeah, I usually have a handful um, that are that go from my gen ed classes into AP. Not a whole lot, though, because there's, um, you know, I don't have any of the honors sophomore students. So that's where the majority of my mm -hmm. AP kids come from. But I always have a handful. And um, it it does give an interesting perspective because I can see their growth over, over two years. Right. And really see how they're uh, willing to um, engage in a, in a more challenging environment. Because um, I know what they're getting into when they, whereas the, those honors kids, you know, that they're just, they have a set of expectations, but they haven't been in my class yet. So um, I, it is a, an interesting um, perspective to have. And, um, and I think those students that have me for two years, um, they definitely see how, um, you know, how I treat writing really the same in my, my sophomore classes versus my AP mm -hmm. classes. Like I have, you know, we're, we're doing the same stuff, just the conversation is just slightly different. You know, we're talking a little bit more technical and we're, we're trying some more advanced moves, but um, really the, the, uh, the expectations are the same. So That's cool. And that's really neat too, that you've been able to kind of be with students for longer. I mean, because going back to kind of our parallels we're drawing with athletic endeavors, I mean, I just think about how much progress you know, like how much my, my running, my own running has changed, right, in the last two or three years, right? Um, and I'm not even at like that kind of point in my, I mean, I'm just an old person now, right? Yeah. So I'm not seeing like the kind of improvement that I would have seen, you know, a couple of decades ago. But um, I think it's so interesting to, to watch students. Um, and I think that, you know, especially now having young children who are starting to go through this process themselves to, to just see like, wow, just multiple years, the kind of accumulative um, progress that students can make and not only their skill level or their content understanding, but um, just their willingness to engage and to try things out in their writing and the way that they kind of see the world and, and question it. So um, 
I think that's always neat when we're able to to have students in our classes for multiple years. And uh, you mentioned how, um, you know, we want students to to question um, themselves and the world and and see, um, you know, all the possibilities. And I think that's one um, something else that I do a lot of is uh, introduce a variety of, of mentor texts and a variety of authors, including myself, you know, like here's, um, you know, especially me, I can see a progression, you know, I show them how, how I draft and, and revise, but when they look at, you know, professional writers who have published and, um, and, and we're using those as models, I think that is something else that they can, um, you know, really going back to this idea of cultivating um, pleasure and joy is to see that you, you know, if you stick to the process and, and you're willing to, to work in that, um, in a little bit of a struggle, but be productive that you can, it can be, um, it can pay off and, and give you energy and joy. Yes. I mean, I think that's just so powerful for students to have experiences with um, these mentor texts and you know I even think about this one of the kind of silver linings of this last year is I feel like a lot of authors have made themselves more available um, online to do you know little chats about books they're putting out or you know I don't know um, if Jody, if your kids did this but last spring when everything kind of shut down Mo Williams did the series of little lunchtime workshops for young kids where he would yes. like show them how to draw things and kind of talk about his process. So it's really neat that, um, you know, not only are the texts themselves, you know, obviously available, but also, you know, getting kind of the inside scoop from some of the authors. Um, I actually went to a author's chat um, a few weeks ago and she had, she published a book um, that I read and she was taught and I really enjoyed the book a lot. And she said that, you know, I actually had to cut 75% of the book um, and rewrite like huge sections. And she kind of talked through her process. And um, that was, it's just like so helpful to hear that, um, you know, these real authors are, are going through this because then when you're sitting in front of your computer and you're like, oh gosh, like I've, invested like so much time and energy but like this whole last section has just got to go you know it kind of normalizes that and you realize that you know our all writers are kind of in this process and there's parts that are going to be hard but then there's also times that it's going to bring you you know so much joy um so it's been it's been cool to be able to to, to hear a little bit more from authors lately absolutely and um I, you mentioned the Mo Williams with, with young students. So, you know, I only work with, uh, you know, elementary, basically with my own kids. So, um, but I think that's uh, where we can really start to instill the idea that uh, they are young writers and that, and, and work on that piece of them identifying themselves as writers. And uh, so Mo Williams, um, you know, making himself accessible like that was, was great. And um, when I, you know, show um, some different things with, with to Harper, my daughter, who's in third grade, um, and she's willing to um, go through that process, she's learning that it's the process and the end products that can give you a different sense of accomplishment, but they're yeah. both, um, that they're both enjoyable, like the process of writing can be enjoyable and finishing it 
is also rewarding. So I think that's a, a huge part of, of um, cultivating joy in the, in the writing process. Yes. I mean, I think that's exactly right. As showing, you know, the ways in which the process itself is so joyful, because I think that, you know, especially in our culture, we have such a focus on, you know, the end result and, you know, like the destination, right? Um, so I think, you know, anytime that, you know, for our students, we can really make visible the ways in which the process can be fun and that we can, you know, enjoy it, even the parts that are hard, even when we have to delete huge sections, right? Um, that that can really be a way to encourage students to um, to identify as writers and to keep going even when it when it is hard. Totally agree, and um, that's always uh, kind of one of the greatest challenges in the classroom is to kind of build that that sense of of well, you know I think the, the catchphrase now is grit right you're going to build right. grit and well Jess that was a really enlightening conversation I'm glad uh, to join you today yeah I loved uh, having this conversation and getting to think a little bit more about the ways that we can call upon writing to cultivate joy in our classrooms and um, some different ways that we can you know help support our students in that Thank you for listening to today's episode of the Twigcast. For more information and content, find us on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, or visit our website at twig.fun. Until next time, continue finding joy in writing.